0: Chapter Three, Part Two of the Many Sided Franklin by Paul Lester Ford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter Three, Education, Part Two after the revolution when the old local contests were dead and buried franklin upon his return to america received an address of welcome from the institution he had been so largely instrumental in founding now become the university of pennsylvania and was promptly elected president of the trustees the same position he had held almost fifty years before his views on the subject of ancient and modern learning had not changed however and almost the last paper ever penned by him was one entitled observations relative to the intentions of the original founders of the academy in philadelphia which is a plea for an english rather than a classical education and which in his usual happy manner he brought to an end with an anecdote to point his argument there is in mankind, he wrote, an unaccountable prejudice in favor of ancient customs and habitudes, which inclines to the continuance of them after the circumstances which formerly made them useful cease to exist. A multitude of instances might be given, but it may suffice to mention one. Hats were once thought a useful part of a dress they kept the head warm and screened it from the violent impression of the sun's rays and from the rain snow hail etc gradually however as the wearing of wigs and hair nicely dressed prevailed the putting on of hats was disused by genteel people lest the curious arrangements of the curls and powdering should be disordered and umbrellas began to supply their place yet still our considering the hat as a part of the dress continues so far to prevail that a man of fashion is not thought dressed without having one or something like one about him which he carries under his arm so that there are a multitude of the politer people in all the courts and capital cities of europe who have never nor their fathers before them worn a hat otherwise than as a chapeau-bras though the utility of such a mode of wearing it is by no means apparent and it is attended not only with some expense but with a degree of constant trouble the still prevailing custom of having schools for teaching generally our children in these days the latin and greek languages i consider therefore in no other light than as the chapeau bras of modern literature the philadelphia academy was only the principal of franklin's endeavors to foster education and he gave time and money in aid of several institutions with others he labored to make education commoner by establishing an english school at Reading, york easton lancaster hanover and skippack he was a member of the society for the education of the germans in pennsylvania in 1760, he became one of what were termed Dr. Bray's associates, having for an object the founding of schools for the education of Negroes and Indians, and he served for a time as chairman of the society. After the Revolution, he outlined in a letter to Washington a scheme for the improvement of free Negroes, which included a committee of education that was to superintend the school instruction of the children of free blacks it is amusing to note that once he was made to contribute to an educational scheme of which he disapproved whitefield the itinerant preacher was inspired by a sight of the miserable situation of the new colonists in georgia with the idea of building an orphan house there in which the helpless children might be supported and educated Quote, i did not disapprove of the design but as georgia was then destitute of materials and workmen and it was proposed to send them from philadelphia at a great expense i thought it would have been better to have built the house here and brought the children to it this i advised but he was resolute in his first project rejected my counsel and i therefore refused to contribute i happened soon after to attend one of his sermons in the course of which i perceived he intended to finish with a collection "'and I silently resolved he should get nothing from me. "'I had in my pocket a handful of copper money, three or four silver dollars, and five pistoles in gold. "'As he proceeded, I began to soften, "'and concluded to giving the coppers. "'Another stroke of his oratory made me ashamed of that, "'and determined me to give the silver. "'And he finished so admirably "'that I emptied my pocket wholly into the collector's dish, "'gold and all.' an interesting educational view he held was on women's training and one far in advance not merely of his time but even of today. having established a printer in south carolina on a profit-sharing agreement his decease threatened a loss to franklin but quote, the business was continued by his widow "'who, being born and bred in Holland, "'where, as I have been informed, "'the knowledge of accounts makes a part of female education, "'she not only sent me as clear a state "'as she could find of the transactions past, "'but continued to account with the greatest regularity "'and exactness every quarter afterwards, "'and managed the business with such success "'that she not only brought up reputably a family of children, "'but at the expiration of the term "'was able to purchase of me the printing-house,' and establish her son in it i mention this affair chiefly for the sake of recommending that branch of education for our young females as likely to be of more use to them and their children in case of widowhood than either music or dancing by preserving them from losses by imposition of crafty men and enabling them to continue perhaps a profitable mercantile house with established correspondence till a son is grown up fit to undertake and go on with it to the lasting advantage and enriching of the family." Franklin put more stress on this practical training for women than he did on even the elements of education. Though he told his wife that he wished his daughter, Sally, would be a little more careful of her spelling, of one correspondent he asked, Quote, why do you never write to me i used to love to read your letters and i regret your long silence they were seasoned with good sense and friendship and even your spelling pleased me polly knows i think the worst spelling the best so when jane meekham asked him to pray forgive the very bad spelling and every other defect and don't let it mortify you that such a scrawl came from your sister he answered you need not be concerned in writing to me about your bad spelling, for in my opinion, as our alphabet now stands, bad spelling, or what is so called, is generally the best, as conforming to the sound of the letters and of the words. Then, as usual, to reinforce his own opinion, he goes on with a story. Quote, a gentleman received a letter in which were these words. Not finding Brown at home, I delivered your message to his Y.F., the gentleman, finding it bad spelling, and therefore not very intelligible, called his lady to help him read it. Between them they picked out the meaning of all but the Y.F., which they could not understand. The lady proposed calling her chambermaid, because Betty, says she, has the best knack at reading bad spelling of any one I know. Betty came in and was surprised that neither sir nor madam could tell what Y.F. was, why, she says, Y.F. spells wife. What else can it spell? And, indeed, it is a much better as well as shorter method of spelling wife than W.I.F.E., which in reality spells W.I.F.E. I think, his sister replied, sir and madam were very deficient in sagacity that they could not find out Y.F. as well as Betty, but sometimes the Bettys have the brightest understanding. End quote as this would suggest franklin early became a spelling reformer and went so far as to prepare a new alphabet thinking a reformation not only necessary but practicable though he foresaw that it must come gradually if at all and as one step toward making clear the absurdity of english spelling he drew up his petition of the letter z in which he complains quote, that he is not only actually placed at the tail of the alphabet, when he had as much right as any other to be at the head, but is by this injustice of his enemies totally excluded from the word wise, and his place injuriously filled by a little hissing, a crooked serpentine, venomous letter called S, when it must be evident to your worship and to all the world that W-I-S-E does not spell wise, but weiss. "'Your petitioner therefore prays that the alphabet may by your censorial authority be reversed, and that in consideration of his long-suffering and patience he may be placed at the head of it, and S may be turned out of the word wise, and the petitioner employed instead of him.'" As his attitude toward the classics suggests, Franklin did not set high value on college training. One of Mrs. Dugood's letters, contributed by the printer's apprentice to his brother's newspaper, shortly after his father had reached the decision not to send his son to Harvard, discusses that temple of learning, and the New England tendency of every peasant who had the wherewithal to send one of his children at least to this famous place, in which, as most of them consulted their own purses instead of their children's capacities, I observed a great many, yea, the most part of those who were travelling thither were little better than dunces and blockheads so that after graduation many of them from henceforth for want of patrimony lived as poor as church mice being unable to dig and ashamed to beg and to live by their wits it was impossible End quote sixty-two years after this was written in the little account of the american indians franklin told a story evidently intended to illustrate his averment that quote, most of the learning in use is of no great use and to show the difference between book knowledge and real knowledge at an indian treaty in seventeen forty four he relates Quote, after the principal business was settled the commissioners from virginia acquainted the indians by a speech that there was at williamsburg a college with a fund for educating indian youth and that if the six nations would send down half a dozen of their young lads to that college the government would take care that they should be well provided for and instructed in all the learning of the white people we are convinced the indians replied that you mean to do us good by your proposal and we thank you heartily but you who are wise must know that different nations have different conceptions of things and you will therefore not take it amiss if our ideas of this kind of education happen not to be the same as yours we have had some experience of it several of our young people were formerly brought up at the colleges of the northern provinces they were instructed in all your sciences but when they came back to us they were bad runners ignorant of every means of living in the woods unable to bear cold or hunger knew neither how to build a cabin take a deer nor kill an enemy spoke our language imperfectly were therefore neither fit for hunters warriors nor counsellors they were totally good for nothing we are, however, not the less obliged by your kind offer, though we decline accepting it. And to show our grateful sense of it, if the gentlemen of Virginia will send us a dozen of their sons, we will take great care of their education, instruct them in all we know, and make men of them. End quote. In a more concrete form, too, Franklin testified to the slight value he placed upon college training. He saw to it that both his son William and his nephew James were properly taught, but he sent neither to a university. When William Franklin put his son into the Pennsylvania College, the grandfather did not hesitate to withdraw him that he might take him to France, thus ending his further education so too with his other grandson though having a choice of all the universities of europe he gave him only an ordinary education at a school in geneva joke as franklin would however at mr fogg who explains english by greek and at the man who was so learned that he could name a horse in nine languages so ignorant that he bought a cow to ride on one of the compliments which especially pleased him was the recognition of his contributions to science by the colleges when yale and harvard both gave him the degree of master of arts he was proud that quote, without studying at any college i came to partake of their honors and when the universities of st andrews edinburgh and oxford in succession conferred on him the degrees of lld or d c l he was heedful to advertise the new honors on the title-pages of his books franklin's disapproval of the dead languages was not akin to that of the fox for the grapes though the boy had only one year at the boston grammar school most of the Duguid letters were headed by a quotation from cicero seneca terence or some other latin author of repute in the years following however he seems to have paid more attention to other tongues and allowed his knowledge of latin to grow rusty he says in his autobiography quote, i had begun in seventeen thirty three to study languages i soon made myself so much a master of the french as to be able to read the books with ease i then undertook the italian an acquaintance who was also learning it used often to tempt me to play chess with him finding this took up too much of the time i had to spare for study i at length refused to play any more unless on this condition that the victor in every game should have the right to impose a task either in parts of the grammar to be got by heart or in translations etc which tasks the vanquished was to perform on honour before our next meeting as we played pretty equally we thus beat one another into that language i afterwards with a little painstaking acquired as much of the spanish as to read their books also but when i had attained an acquaintance with the french italian and spanish i was surprised to find on looking over a latin testament that i understood more of that language than i had imagined which encouraged me to apply myself again to the study of it and i met with the more success as those preceding languages had greatly smoothed my way from these circumstances i have thought there was some inconsistency in our common mode of teaching languages we are told that it is proper to begin first with latin and having acquired that it will be more easy to attain those modern languages which are derived from it and yet we do not begin with the greek in order more easily to acquire the latin it is true that if we can clamber and get to the top of the staircase without using the steps we shall more easily gain them in descending but certainly if we begin with the lowest we shall with more ease ascend to the top and i would therefore offer it to the consideration of those who superintend the education of our youth whether since many of those who begin with the latin quit the same after spending some years without having made any great proficiency and what they have learned becomes almost useless so that their time has been lost would it not have been better to have begun with the french proceeding to the italian etc for lo after spending the same time they should quit the study of languages and never arrive at the latin they would however have acquired another tongue or two that being in modern use might be serviceable to them in common life in thus acquiring languages franklin was far from learning to speak or even to write them during his first trip to France, in 1767, he was compelled to rely on an interpreter in his social intercourse, and it was probably on this visit that his lack of facility in French occasioned an amusing incident. Franklin attended one of the meetings of the French Academy, and not being able to understand the speaker, yet not choosing to show it, he adopted a subterfuge of watching a friend, Madame de Boufflier, and applauding whenever she gave evidence of approval unfortunately the lady liked best certain eulogistic remarks on the visitor and thus franklin clapped his own praises the loudest on his being sent to france in seventeen seventy six as a commissioner from america he set himself to learn to speak and write french but he was now a man of seventy and it did not come easily to him the british ambassador who kept close watch on his proceedings reported to his government anent an interview of franklin with the Duke de choiseul quote, it is very possible that madame de Belgioso was desired to act as interpreter as franklin does not speak french with any facility after he had had eighteen months of french life his fellow diplomat john adams said quote, Dr. Franklin is reported to speak French very well, but I find, upon attending to him, that he does not speak it grammatically, and, indeed, upon inquiring, he confesses that he is wholly inattentive to the grammar. His pronunciation, too, upon which the French gentlemen and ladies compliment him, and which he seems to think is pretty well, I am sure is very far from being exact." so too john baines who was in paris in seventeen eighty three notes that franklin could not make out much of a certain frenchman who was being presented to him he having rather an obscure mode of expressing himself nor was the minister a better frenchman with pen than with tongue though he sought the aid of his french friends in an endeavour to improve himself and wrote out exercises for them to correct with an apology, because quote, I am conscious that I have written here a great deal of very bad French. It may disgust you who write that charming language with so much purity and elegance. But if you can finally decipher my awkward and unfit expressions, you will perhaps have at least the kind of pleasure that one has in solving enigmas or discovering secrets. End quote. His chief teacher was Madame Briand, and the character of her task can be judged by one letter in which she told her pupil that he must say, quote, plus de, not que, quarante années. Pensez à, not de, une chose. D'avoir permission, not d'être permis. Peut-être m'adresserai, not je m'adresserai. End quote but in pointing out the inaccuracies she made little of them what you call your bad french often gives a spice to your narration by the construction of your sentences and by the words which you invent she told him and if your french is not very pure it is at least very clear writing of his attempted amendment of a bagatelle she said quote, your correctings of the french believe me have spoiled your work leave your works as they are faults of words that tell something and laugh at grammarians who for purity weaken all your phrases if i had a good enough mind i should write a terrible diatribe against those who dare to touch you up were it the Abbe de la roche finally he sent her a draught and when it was returned she had nothing but praise Quote, bravo bravissimo the letter from monsieur de Reneval contains nothing to correct and mr franklin only sent it to me for excess of self-love yet even such a testimony did not make franklin trustful of his french and after his return to america he felt it necessary to excuse it to his correspondence quote, I have just been writing a French letter to Mademoiselle Chamon. he informed one, but it costs me too much time to write in that language, and after all, tis very bad French, and I therefore write to you in English, which I think you will as easily understand. If not, my chère amie Sophie can interpret it for you." End quote. As instanced by his purchase of his uncle Benjamin's books, Franklin made the most of his years in London, from seventeen fifty seven to seventeen seventy five, to collect books, though he was no bibliomaniac, and indeed satirized the class in the stanza, quote, Polio, who values nothing that's within, buys books as men hunt beavers for their skin. End quote. When the time came for his return to America, he expressed amazement at the number of volumes which had accumulated. In going to France a twelve month later, he left his library in the hands of his daughter, and when, a few weeks after his sailing, the British threatened to capture Philadelphia, quote, your library we sent out of town, well packed in boxes, end quote a year after when the british army gained possession of the city a similar precaution was not taken and this resulted in the loss of a number of his books in the following manner Quote, when major andre was with the british army in philadelphia during the revolutionary war he was quartered at the house of dr franklin who had left in it much furniture and also his library when the enemy were about to evacuate the city monsieur de cimetière a well-known italian gentleman attached to science and the fine arts and well acquainted with Andre, waited upon him to take leave and to solicit his interest in their prevention if any irregularities should ensue upon their leaving the city he found the major in the library busily employed in packing up some books and placing them among his own baggage Monsieur de cimetière said he was shocked at the procedure and told him in order that he might make the inference of the strictly just and honourable conduct of the hessian general neifhausen with respect to general Calwallader's house and property which had been in his possession he, General K, had sent for the agent of General Cadwallader, and given him an inventory, which he had caused his steward to make out upon their obtaining possession, desired him to observe that all was left as they had found it, even to some wine in the cellar, every bottle of which was left, and he also paid the agent rent for the time he had been in the house. But the recital of German General's Honesty made no impression on the Major, as he carried off the books." Though separated from his library while in France, Franklin did not lack for books, and one of the indictments Madame Gaut brought against him was that, quote, while the mornings are long and you have leisure to go abroad, what do you do? Why, instead of gaining an appetite for breakfast by salutary exercise, you amuse yourself with books, pamphlets, or newspapers, which commonly are not worth the reading, end quote yet his public and social duties robbed him of many hours and jefferson records that quote, dr franklin used to say that when he was young and had time to read he had not books and now when he had become old and had books he had no time it was during his stay in france that he gave a public testimony to the value he set upon books a town in massachusetts named itself franklin and its minister the rev nathaniel emmons a connection of franklin wrote to him and asked if he would not as a sort of sponsorial present give the town a bell for its church to be placed in the steeple they purposed to erect i have advised the sparing themselves the expense of a steeple the utilitarian wrote a friend whom he requested to select books to the value of twenty-five pounds and these obtained he sent them in lieu of a bell apparently the substitute was satisfactory for the minister preached a sermon on the gift and when it was printed, the dedicatory page ran quote, To His Excellency Benjamin Franklin, President of the State of Pennsylvania, the ornament of genius, the patron of science, and the boast of man, this discourse is inscribed, with the greatest deference, humility, and gratitude, by His obliged and most humble servant, the author. End quote. Upon his final return to America, he brought with him 18 large boxes of books, and his collection had now become of such a size that, in rebuilding his house, he was forced to enlarge very much his library room. The Reverend Manessa Cutler has left a description of the old man and his books, which gives a pleasant glimpse of them both. Quote, After it was dark, we went into the house, and the doctor invited me into his library, which is likewise his study it is a very large chamber and high-studded the walls were covered with bookshelves filled with books besides there are four large alcoves extending two-thirds of the length of the chamber filled in the same manner i presume this is the largest and by far the best private library in america he showed us his long artificial arm and hand for taking down and putting books up on high shelves which are out of reach and his great armed chair with rockers and the large fan placed over it with which he fans himself keeps off the flies etc while he sits reading with only a small motion of his foot and many other curiosities and inventions all his own but of lesser note over his mantle-tree he has a prodigious number of medals busts and casts in wax or plaster of paris which are the effigies of the most noted characters in europe but what the doctor wished principally to show to me was a huge volume on botany and which indeed afforded me the greatest pleasure of any one thing in his library it was a single volume but so large that it was with great difficulty that the doctor was able to raise it from a low shelf and lift it on to the table but with that senile ambition common to old people he insisted on doing it himself and would permit no person to assist him merely to show us how much strength he had remaining it contained the whole Linnaeus systema vegetabilia with large cuts of every plant and colored from nature it was a feast to me and the doctor seemed to enjoy it as well as myself the doctor seemed extremely fond through the course of the visit of dwelling on philosophical subjects and particularly that of natural history while the other gentlemen were swallowed up with politics this was a favourable circumstance to me, for almost the whole of his conversation was addressed to me, and I was highly delighted with the extensive knowledge he appeared to have of every subject, the brightness of his memory, and clearness and vivacity of all his mental faculties." His library was his chief resource in the last years of his life, when his malady kept him within doors, and for the most part confined to his bed. In the intervals of pain, he amused himself with reading and writing, his grandson states, and another witness chronicles that, quote, When able to be out of bed, he passed nearly all his time in his office, reading and writing, and in conversation with his friends, and when the boys were playing and very noisy, in the lot in front of the office, he would open the window and call to them, Boys, boys, can't you play without making so much noise? I am reading, and it disturbs me very much.' I have heard the servants in his family say he never used a hasty or angry word to any one. Some men grow mad by studying much to know, but who grows mad by studying good to grow? asked poor Richard, and the same epigram maker asserted, He that lives well is learned enough. End of chapter three, part two.